Hello. Are we snapping now, not clapping? I Well, I can't clap because one of my hands is holding this phone. That makes sense. Okay, sorry. My bad. Keep that in there. That's good. That's good. That's a good opening, I think, for this. Uh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I am currently recording this on my iPhone because uh, I didn't plan out my week very well and ended up traveling without my microphone. So, I mean, in fairness, I also do not plan out my week very well. This is a confluence of circumstance. Well, I have a real reason for why we're recording like this. Luke is just going to a football game tomorrow, which yeah, means we can't well, do this on our normal which day. Which Alan will acknowledge is a real reason. Wait, wait, are you going to a Champions League match tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, all right, that's like a legitimate reason to thank you to push a podcast recording. <laughs> I just, you know, it's nice that Luke is changing up the location where he's going to watch his team lose. I, I love that whenever I ask Luke anything about Tottenham, he often regularly compares the players' bodies to old horses. <laughs> he, 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 he regularly talks about Tottenham players as if they're about to be made into glue because they're no longer able to play right, which I think is that's how That's how you talk about all football players. Sure. Yeah, whatever. That's weird. <laughs> we're talking about TwitchCon. There's actually been a whole bunch of stuff in the streaming world that we haven't talked about, like Dream taking his mask off and then suddenly agreeing with Kanye West about the liberals inventing cancel culture. We're going to get to all that stuff and a new cursed ball pit, which is exciting. It's it's, it's just a cursed pit generally. And this one I think is more cursed. Definitely. This one basically paralyzed a woman. So yeah, we're going to talk about all that stuff. But before we get to that, hey Luke, how was the internet this week? Uh, I feel like the internet's been a bit keyed up. Like it's been, it's been spoiling for a fight. I feel like there's been a lot of not like there's been, not been so many like big dramas that this is the only thing people are talking about. But very keyed up, very yes, yeah, spoiling for a fight. I think. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of like small simmering controversies. There's the fact that Fat Bear Week may have been attacked by voter fraud. Like people were manipulating the poll for Fat Bear Week. That was big. Yeah, that was bleak. Who's your who who is who is your fat bear leader at the moment? Who who are you following? I just don't think that we should pit fat kings and queens against each other. Like let these bears just like do their best. I think I think it's nine oh one for what it's worth. I haven't even looked because like I can't trust it now that I know that it's a subject of some kind of cyber attack. And then also Elon Musk, I think, has just decided that he's the king of Earth now and is talking to Putin while tweeting with Kanye West. It's just it's a mess. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with your 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 take on this, which is that there's just like it's a lot of keyed up drama. And then there's we got to talk about this because it's very confusing. The 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 huge controversy around Meta in India right now. Yeah, so we 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 talk about this before the show. What I'll do is I'll say what I understood to have happened, and then you can explain why. Yes, perfect. because I haven't been online in four hours. I'm wrong. Okay, I can do that. So my understanding was that there was a story that two people in in from an Indian outlet called the Wire, the Wire In, yeah, the Wire In. Uh, they had a story which was a. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like a, a mind blowing story. It was a it was a good story to do with someone having access to a. A system that meant that they could check and 
uh, report posts who wasn't supposed to have access to it, which is, you know, it's, it's an ongoing problem with Facebook that their moderation system is convoluted and human-based. Right. Although, to be fair, not as human-based as Twitter's, which is now Elon Musk calling Kanye West and saying, right. could you not tweet anti-Semitic things anymore? Which, you know, is, is also flawed in a different way. But they did this, they did a story, it's kind of a classic Facebook is kind of dodgy story. There was then a leak of an email, uh, allegedly from Andy Stone, who is worth reading Chris Stokel Walker's piece on Andy Stone on input, the, the much missed input mag, about him and how his PR strategy is extremely strange and confrontational and dodgy. But they basically said the document that you had underlying this report was, I, I don't know if he said fake, fabricated, I think he said fabricated. And then they got leaked an email, or apparently got leaked an email, I assume you're about to tell me this is fake. They got leaked an email, which basically from Andy Stone saying, how did this get leaked? Who is the reporter? Why aren't they on our watch list? And why didn't any of you bother him to link me up? And my main takeaway from this is, I want to know if I'm on the watch list. I, I assume I am, but I... When I was doing more reporting a few years ago, Facebook definitely stopped replying to me. Like they had as a moment and they never spoke to me again. Yeah. So okay, hold on. So 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 here's here's the whole thing, right? So you you're pretty much right sort of. So The Wire, they're a great site. They're like a really good digital publisher in India. They've done a ton of great stuff around misinfo and disinfo, which is like on a whole different level in India. They basically say that like the Hindu right wing can, you know, take down certain posts with this thing called XCheck. Yeah. Andy Stone's like, that's not true. The the Wire publishes emails from Andy Stone going like, how did they get this? Another Facebook employee then says, those emails are fake. So Guy Rosen, the uh, CISO at Meta, tweeted this. I want to set the record straight about two stories run this week by The Wire with untrue claims about Meta's content moderation operations and processes. TLDR, these stories are fabrications. The stories were simply incorrect about the cross-check program, which was built to prevent potential over-enforcement mistakes. It has nothing to do with the ability to report posts, as alleged in the article. Uh, it then says that the supposed email from Andy Stone, it's a fake. The supposed email address from which it was sent isn't even Stone's current email address. And the to address isn't one we use here either. There is no such email. That same story makes reference to an internal journalist watch list. There is no such list. These accusations are outlandish and riddled with falsities. And so, okay, there's there's a couple ways to read this. One is that like Meta has just like completely lost the plot and they've taken their like gaslight girl boss response to journalism to like a sociopathic level. Yeah. It's, I guess, possible. But I think what's also very interesting here is that there is basically an endless amount of replies from right-wing Hindu nationalists begging Meta to sue the wire. That's interesting. Also, I should point out that Ben Collins from NBC replied that these aren't even good fakes to a screenshot that was shared by The Wire. I like The Wire. I've talked to journalists over there. I also know that the information landscape of India is more aggressive than anything I've ever seen. It's more polarized than any country I've ever been in. Yeah. I kind of believe that maybe you know they were fed fake information to set them up to be sued especially considering how aggressive libel laws are in India. They're criminal, so. Okay, so we think that this may be not just 
not just them getting getting uh, hoaxed, but them getting hoaxed with a a political motive. I I assume that if it is a hoax, it was totally a setup politically. Yes, but so there's there's more here. So the founding editor of the Wire uh, responded this morning after Meta had responded. And the, the editor wrote, Meta first claimed the Instagram report the Wire published was fabricated. We ran Andy Stone's email to disprove that. They claim the email is fabricated. The Wire stands by both stories, which are based on information from sources we know and trust within Meta. These documents were triangulated with other elements of the story that we reported. Meta's strategy is to try and push us into a corner with its preposterous fabrication charge and force us to reel information which may compromise our sources. This isn't going to happen. Meta's absurd claim that documents are fabricated is par for the course, given its record of obfuscation in the face of revelations by whistleblowers worldwide. Uh, let's go back to square one. Can Meta provide a rational explanation for why the Instagram post critical of the, the political figure that they're, they're writing about was taken down? And yeah, so the wire's standing by it. So the other problem is, though, that like every like American journalist I know is looking at these screenshots and saying that like there's no way they're real, including uh, show Shano uh, Wadinsky, who is is a great reporter for Market Watch. She wrote Instagram.workplace.com isn't a URL that exists. Any emails from Andy would be at Meta, not at FB, and there is no email alias for internal at Meta. So yeah, I think that the wire got duped. I think. I mean. <sighs> I'll be I'll be honest. I, I I saw it on Twitter and kind of like rolled through it and did not read it that much. But I thought it was an interesting story that's worth talking about. It's really clear that there's a lot more there. It is an interesting story because it's like okay, what I what we can say I think definitively about this is two things. One, Meta does not give enough access to journalists in the global south, and the countries that are predominantly affected by their products most negatively have almost no ability to talk to that company at all. I think we should also say that's true for company in the north like the global north like there is it is very hard to get access to good information from facebook and people who will actually talk to you and explain things we've told the story before but frequently facebook respond to you be like this is off the record on background here is a link to our public yes. moderation policies and you're like what the fuck are you talking about they, they um, literally did that to me like a couple of weeks ago <laughs> yeah they, they love doing that so like there is a wider problem here that facebook will not engage with journalists and it therefore makes it very hard for journalists to fact check things which in the in in the global north has its own problems but in the global south where there are stuff like this where there's a very politicized anti-journalist movement it puts them in, in in literal danger potentially right and i also think that like facebook does lie and we know that they lie and they lie about crazy stuff all the time yeah. and they and and andy stone as we've said on the show before like goes out of his way to publicly antagonize journalists and is like really weird about it so i feel like if facebook wasn't like a weirdly secretive company that puts wild shit on background for no reason and also publicly attacks journalists, I, I think this story would be easier to follow. Even if The Wire got duped, I still kind of put a little bit of the blame on, on, on Meta for this. But also, it's, it's, it is useful for them to have a degree of obfuscation on all their stories just because you know, the more fog of war there is, the better for them. Yeah. Also, uh, a couple quick things before we get to the big topic of the week. Did you know that John Fetterman makes his own memes? I did. I saw this. This is good. I mean, the story is basically, yeah, so he had a stroke uh, and he was in hospital. And while he was in hospital, he got really into making his own memes, which is pretty funny. I would. 
I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> you could do that now. So I'm about as physically abled as a middle-aged man who's recently had a stroke, and I love making memes. So yeah, I really relate. So this, this detail comes from a, a great piece called The Vulnerability of John Fetterman, which was published in the New York Mag. And yeah, I just think it's really delightful that like he's making like really petty and obnoxious memes because like that's the that's the that's what I imagined. And I wanted to imagine that. And I feel better knowing that, I think. I want to jump in and just say that because of the kind of person that John Fetterman is, my sister-in-law lives really close to Braddock, where he used to be the mayor in Pennsylvania. And the idea that like meme making has filtered so far down that like regular old giant giant man that he is from braddock pennsylvania is like making memes and is good at the discourse just means that like anybody can play now and the fact that he had to because most of this campaign happened online because he was in the hospital and they couldn't go take it on the campaign trail i love this race so much and i can't wait to see what happens i i mean i never in my life thought i would read a headline that said that dr oz followed up report of him overseeing the murder of many puppies by standing next to Hitler's car, which is a thing that happened. <laughs> it is It is fascinating that, like, I just checked the 538 thing, and 538 have him six points ahead, which is not that much, almost a month out from the election. Uh, almost exactly like that, actually. But also, Dr. Oz is such a bad candidate that it's, it's extremely funny. And it's also extremely funny that he is a this kind of, like, oleaginous Trump-esque person like he's kind of trying to do a Trump thing where he's like famous from TV and now he's now he's he's involved in in politics uh, and he's come up against just the most Pennsylvania man of all time. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I I it, it will remain awesome until he or if he wins. And then like the darkness will just be so dark. Like if him or Herschel Walker win this after running absolute car crash campaigns like I'm going to be in a bad, I'm going to be in a bad place in my brain. <laughs> yeah. But for right now, it's super fun and I love it. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's like, this is really, really good fun if this works. If this does not yeah. work, then this is, this is bleak as shit. Exactly. Yeah, that would be, that would be so dark that I only want to think about it. Speaking of utter bleakness, what's going on with John Cleese? Why, what's, what's the deal with this guy? Uh, I mean, it's it's he's he's a British man who was born in the 1930s. Yeah, like he's he's a reactionary guy. He was initially anti-establishment, and he's been anti-establishment so long that he's come he's become deeply reactionary, and therefore has picked up a spot on GB News, which is the the I, I don't know what it's the UK equivalent to. It's not really the UK equivalent to anything that exists in America because your right-wing channels are really successful. <laughs> yeah kind of hilarious we did an episode about gb news like i want to say last year and it and all of the shows look like an ai made them like they're all like utterly grim and bleak i mean their digital strategy now is fascinating because their digital person left and what they are now doing is basically each show is like three hours long and they're essentially they're broadcasting on tv then streaming the whole thing and then while simultaneously clipping it up and putting out every like five minutes as a clip it's just it's deranged, like their YouTube channel. But yeah, no, John Cleese, I think he lives in Bermuda or Barbados or something now. He's anti-cancel culture because he thinks people are stopping him making jokes, which is true. I have not heard him make a funny joke in decades. So, it's, Yeah, he's not funny. I just looked up GB News shows again because I remember hysterically laughing about some of them. And I found the one that like absolutely broke my brain last time, which is Doobs & Co., which is plain speaking, straight talking, Michelle Dewberry delivers her individual take on the day's news. 
And I guess she's dubs in this. Ex-apprentice candidate. Oh, is that true? Couldn't have guessed. Yeah, no, she is. That's great. Well, I'm excited for dubs and John Cleese to uh, share the great platform that is GB News, a right-wing news channel that, thanks to your fantastic lack of free speech, means that they can't do any of the wild shit that Fox News does. So they can't be successful. Which is really funny. One of the one of their videos that they've recently published is "Can you afford to die?" question mark Average funeral tops four thousand pounds. That's great. Which I assume I assume is just an ad for life insurance. I don't know. That's fantastic. Yeah. No. It's 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 extremely funny how unprofitable a right wing news channel is when you have it in a country where you can't just like say deeply deeply unethical things all the time. I mean, they do they do get pretty close. There is some there is some vaccine stuff on there, which is. Uh, pretty is pushing the envelope, let's say. Okay, so have you, you've never been to like a TwitchCon or a VidCon before, right? No, no, I'm an adult. Well, you you also are a journalist. You've never, like, you, you're... You, you've never been to like a convention for like, have you been to a Comic-Con? No, I don't think, I don't, I don't know. No, no, I've never been to any of them. This is something I, I didn't realize until recently that like outside of America, like the idea of like going to a lot of conventions is like really weird. It is. I had to explain this to, I had to explain this to my girlfriend. She's Brazilian. And I had to say like, yeah, like, you know, conventions are like, every, like Americans go to them all the time. And she's like, why? And I was like, so, cause they're fun. And she's like, but you're working. And I was like, yeah. But you can like have fun while you're working. And she's like, but why don't you just get a vacation instead? And I was like, no, like Americans get uncomfortable if they take too much time off of work. So they have to create situations where they can work, but it feels like a vacation. Right. But most of the people who go to conventions are not journalists. They are people who are going there for fun. Well, then the other side of this is like the like trade show convention stuff, which is where weird nerds sell each other crap, basically. So you combine the two and you've just created like a mall that you that you work in, but you pretend that it's a vacation and a fun time. And we do have them. We do have both of those sorts of things, but they're just not very like people don't go to that. They're just not that big. Like the idea of being a convention person is quite odd to me. I've seen videos of British conventions, and they're they're exactly as grim as you'd imagine. So as grim as American ones. No, ours are fun, and everyone's beautiful. I now. guarantee that. I guarantee that there has never been a British convention that has had a Confederate flag furry. That's true. Yeah, no, but like you know, conventions are where like models do cosplay now. You know. Anyways, okay. So so you've never been to a convention. So so like TwitchCon for people who don't know what we're talking about. TwitchCon is a yearly convention for people on Twitch. It is also the like the big convention that I forget exists every single year until like clips start coming out of it yeah that makes sense it's it's not it's it doesn't twitch is its own universe maybe more than any of the other ones well i guess like this is a good place to start which is like how do you see twitch fitting into culture in 2022 i feel like what i always see with twitch is people from other platforms figuring out a way to make not if not more money make money easier or kind of like grind for money like it, it feels like a very grindy platform and as a result i think that the kind of the, the cultural impact of it is very odd because a lot of the people there like you see all these people like oh no i vaguely knew that guy was a youtuber that guy was a a, a podcaster but it's like also a twitch thing because they can just sit and talk and not have to well, edit anything 
Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, do you, other than Hassan, because that one's easy, do you know any other Twitch streamers? I mean, the one that came up repeatedly was Carl Jacobs, who is one of Mr. Beast's crew. Oh, I didn't even know him. Yeah, no, so so I, I read some stuff about him a while back, and he kind of became an editor for Mr. Beast, and then through a little bit of luck and a little bit of judgment, ended up in some videos from Mr. Beast and got just famous enough. Mr. Beast was like, all right, you can be more of these. And then he was like, right, I'm now going to take this little bit of Mr. Beast fame and I'm going to turn it into Twitch fame. Yeah, I mean, of the people I know who make money on Twitch, one of the things that's interesting is like how fast you can make money on Twitch. But it does seem to be way more plateau-y than YouTube. Like you can make a regular amount of money on Twitch but it's really hard to get it beyond like that initial burst of money. But it's it's because they don't have evergreen stuff. Right. Like the real effect thing on YouTube is that, you know, once you have a hundred videos, you are making long-term twice as much money as if you have 50 videos because people are watching your old stuff and it just keeps going. Right. Whereas on Twitch, like if you don't go onto Twitch for a month, you don't really make any money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did Twitch during the pandemic and it was very fun until I started to feel like I was in jail. And I felt like I felt crazy. And also, you have to tw- you have to stream at like times where people can watch. So you're typically like after work or like at night or like after dinner. And it just started to feel very exhausting. But um, the people who make it work can you know become very popular. But in these weird ways, where they're big, but like like they don't factor into the rest of of the internet landscape because they're making live video. So it has to be clipped by other people essentially to go viral, which is weird yeah i mean you can go viral on the platform as well i think well i mean it's kind of the wrong word for it it's not quite viral because it doesn't have that same spread it's just kind of a almost a rolling stone it just gathers stuff but in terms of like the weirdness of celebrities there and i think i think the pandemic had a big effect on this where like a lot of people just started trying to stream and you know suddenly found themselves with like fairly big followings and one of these streamers, her name is uh, Adriana Chechik, and uh, she broke her back in two places at TwitchCon this year. So we have to talk about this now because this is yeah, uh, this is wild. So I mean, had you heard of this person before? It was one of those names that I saw, and I was like, "Have I seen this name before?" And I feel like I've seen it on like I don't know the right hand side of Mail Online or something like that where there are just names of people. And I'm like, I've, sh- I've probably seen this person before. I don't know. Yeah. I also think that there's like a certain tier of influencer where I'm like, I don't know if you're a porn star or if you're a podcaster or if you do like a tabletop role-playing YouTube show. Cause they all, or if you're like a wrestler, cause they all kind of look the same. They're all kind of like in shape and kind of pretty. And I'm like, which kind of internet face are you? You know what I mean? I mean, the beauty of this is, is you could be all of them. That is actually very true. Um, So Chechik jumped into a foam pit that was sponsored by Lenovo. And according to reports that I had read, it was not deep enough. Oh, so I got really really into this because I was fascinated by... Because I've never thought about... (laughs) I've never thought about what a good foam pit is because... They're deep. I think the big thing is they're supposed to be deep. It's more than that. It's not just they have to be deep. They have to have a surface under them. A soft surface. No, no. Most foam pits you see are actually on top of a net. So there is a, a a very a large net that goes across a big like a gap a cavern below it, and then you jump in, and then the foam is on top of that. Uh-huh. So you usually have about four to six foot of foam blocks, but you're actually really jumping onto a net. And in this one, they had 
one person said it came up to their knees, but it looked like they had two layers of cube foot blocks on top of a hard floor. So it was, you're effectively jumping onto a hard floor. Yeah. So the video is horrible and it, it, it was caught on camera. It's a, it's a horrible video to watch. The audio is the worst part. I did, I did not turn the audio on. I was like, I'm not going to do that. And we're not playing the audio in this episode, but it was. We're not going to play the audio, but we'll describe it because it was, it was brutal because it was basically there's a commentator for the, the, the foam pit. Who just keeps saying, "Ah, she's all right. She's all right. Ah, she's stuck in the pit now. She's she'll she lives in the pit now. Oh yeah. Oh, that's... and just making all these jokes about it, and it was just like, oh, this is awful. That's much worse than I thought. Yeah. yeah okay. And she has wait. Can I to... jump in and ask a question? Why was there a commentator? Was it like a stream that was happening over the pit? It wasn't just like a fun ball pit or a fun foam pit. So, so I was I was I was looking at it, and what it kind of was is, did you guys have that show Gladiators? Yeah. Called American Gladiators because you know American. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Ours was just Gladiators. Cause, right. But but you know there, there's that game that you have with you, that you have you hold a large stick. Oh, it's like a Q-tip. You had a giant Q-tip with the foam things yeah, on the exactly. end, and you smack each other. Got it. Yeah, exactly that thing. That's kind of what they were doing. And the idea was is there were two platforms in the middle, and you could go and you like knock people off. Which when you think about it is like yeah, you probably do only need a two foot foam pit for that because you're falling two foot mostly sideways. You're not like going too much height and stuff. It still doesn't feel very safe, but it feels like, okay, I understand where you're coming from here. But obviously, as soon as people got into it, they were doing more with it because they were allowed to and no one was stopping them because it wasn't very well regulated. And because it was being live streamed. I just feel like there's a layer of like, as soon as people, especially streamers, know they're being streamed, they feel like they have to top each other. And that may have led into why this person felt like they needed to try and do a backflip. Well, I think it's like a safe assumption that everything is being streamed at TwitchCon to some degree. Like it's a very heavily surveilled uh, event. I I mean, I should also point out, it wasn't a backflip. No, she just jumps in. It was like a, there's a name for it, but you like jump and like touch your toes in the air and then... Kind of leapfrog. Your ass, it was basically. like a leapfrog. What is? The, what do you think a leapfrog is? I don't know. You, I, you jump like a. No, a leapfrog is where someone, someone like bends over and then you jump over them. No, I think I think we're separate by common language again. Okay. Anyways, so uh, Chechik is uh, getting surgery and having like multiple plates put in her back, but she wasn't the only person that got injured. There was also somebody who like dislocated their knee, but. I think that the whole the whole incident is like this really weird thing where this should be a really big deal, but it still feels like it's like like this weird niche other world. And I guess I can't like totally understand why Twitch still feels so divorced from the rest of like pop culture, even when crazy stuff happens on Twitch. To be honest, it reminded me more of Tumblr than it did of anything else. And that's not just because of the like notorious like Tumblr things. The cursed pit. Yeah, but it felt like the fandoms were so very strong. Like, it, it, this was also not the only complaint that people had about TwitchCon, which I think is important. So what are the, what were some of the other ones? Yeah. Okay, there were a series of other things. Uh, there seemed to be a big problem about around disability access. Like, people couldn't get to places. People were not, like, being given the correct things in the correct places. They're not being given the correct access. They were being moved into queues in, in, in the wrong order and letting other people move into the queues ahead of them and all this sort of stuff. Which, you know, yeah, it, that's... clearly a problem then there was a lot of and this is where i think it it skips into something that's a little bit different because there are a lot of complaints that for example the staff were rude and it's like i mean sure it's a big event the staff always rude that's what happens right like they're like badly paid staff who would rather not be doing this and rather not like shepherding a load of 15 year olds around there were a series of complaints that the queues being weren't correctly weren't being correctly managed. This must be passionate for you to hear this queue drama. What? 
I don't really care. It's a big event. But then there were a bunch <laughs> of people being like, it was it was really overcrowded. It was so overcrowded. It was incredibly overcrowded. And then they're like, here's proof. But it's it's just a crowd. Oh, I see. Like, it's a crowd of people walking in two directions. And it's like, I genuinely am curious about the... I think there's a bunch of stuff that's very, very real and problematic, like the foam pit that's incredibly unsafe and the lack of disability access. And there, I'm sure there were a bunch of incidents that were genuinely bad for people, but it kind of then skews into this thing where people are like, hey, I was standing behind this woman and her two kids came up and joined her in the queue and I was really pissed off with them. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> this is just being a human in the world. And it felt like there was also a bunch of things where people were like, outrageously someone says that they got covid while at this con and it's like yeah sure that's well yeah i bet you did it's a large event now yeah like that's what happens i i also saw a video where like this guy was like coming up to harass hassan piker about like doing the like he should fight sam hyde meme if you don't know what i'm talking about there sam hyde is that horrible comedian that everyone claims is like every spree shooter and also every ukrainian soldier right now and uh there's a whole thing where Sam Hyde wants to fight Hassan and he keeps threatening to kill him during wrestling matches. Uh, it's like very, I guess this this kind of speaks to the whole thing and it kind of dovetails with what you're talking about too, which is that like everything in the world of Twitch instantly doesn't feel like it matters the minute you start to describe it like outside of the context of Twitch. Yeah, a little bit. And that's kind of why I think that it, it really reminds me of the Tumblr thing, which when you go back, the vast majority of the Tumblr stuff is incredibly funny because essentially nothing happened. You, you're talking about DashCon. DashCon, yeah. When you actually go back to it, the, the whole point of DashCon is that it was nothing happened. Like, I mean, these are the complaints. Like, the complaints are that the rooms weren't all big enough for the right streamers. So some streamers, not all fans of a streamer could get into one room. And it's like, all right. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that sucks for you. And I'm sorry that happened. But that, that, is, that, is, that is literally being a human in the world. I mean, I, I should say, like, what happened to... Adriana Chechik is is horrible and awful. Yeah, and yeah, there is a huge spectrum here. Yeah. And I, but I do think with these events that they kind of they get a highlights of some genuine real problems, and then they kind of it cascades down, and people are saying these are all the same thing. My favorite one of these was that someone did someone broke their back in the ball pit. <laughs> Disabled people could not get that were not given the correct access to the right rooms. Someone stole George's water bottle. Is that George from George? George is not found. I think. Yeah, from the the the, the Minecraft. Yeah, he left he left a water bottle on the table, and someone took the water bottle. Well, that's horrible. Someone stole George's it, water bottle, not found. If you ask me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that thing of like, <laughs> and it's that thing of, of there is a real there is a real struggle with trying to have people bundle these stuff into one thing. And it's like no, no, no. There are very different things happening here, and bundling up into one place is not helpful. Well, I, okay, I think one thing is that, like, people who watch Twitch are children, and children do not have developed brains. Second, I think that Twitch, more so than maybe any other social network that exists, is a thing that just creates more and more content. So, like, you can't put a bunch of Twitch streamers and their fans in one place and not expect them all to, like, film each other and turn it into drama. Because I think that, like, that's the only incentive of a live stream platform is to find stuff to live stream. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And it, it attracts people who are attracted to drama and attracted to mess and also want to commentate and kind of keep that mess going. So yeah, you put all of them in one place. The, the non-journalists at TwitchCon are essentially people who pay to watch security cameras installed in other people's homes. Yeah. And so like those people are like 
gonna conflate like really bizarre things to find drama to like talk about and like turn into like weird other forms of internet content, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And there's one thing which is, you know, Lenovo and Twitch and a bunch of other people should be held relatively seriously accountable for someone breaking their back. They should probably not be held accountable for the fact that, you know, sometimes people had to queue. Right. I I think that is, uh, I think that's reasonable. But there's also just like, and there's this like general sort of lack of understanding of what streamers are at the moment where like during the pandemic, everyone kind of went online and, and Twitch's traffic went up like crazy. It became like a really popular site. And it is it is not stayed that way, and so Twitch is like changing their monetization rules, and they're like, there's like talk of like uh, a a creator winter coming, where like people are going to be probably be making less money doing this stuff, and like the the viewership has gone down a little bit, I think, and so like we have all these people now though who have like huge audiences, but like no one's really sure like how they fit into anything, and Twitch the company itself doesn't really seem to be moving in the trajectory that everyone thought it would. Like I sort of assumed like four or five years ago, that Twitch would eventually overtake like ESPN or something. And it would be like the new hub for, it would sort of be the first company that could figure out how to combine professional sports and esports and create like a new status quo for like, let's call it like competitive entertainment. Yeah, it felt like that's where it naturally was going, uh, that it would be, and and I do also think one interesting is you can have people like Hassan and Adriana Chechik and Carl Jacobs and dream all of whom have completely different audiences and completely different kind of like people they're talking to but all have them on the same platform and i do think one of the things we kind of miss sometimes with this stuff is that a lot of these people's higher loyalty is to the the platform they have a lot of solidarity with other creators on that platform in a way that we don't always realize but it also means that yeah you have a very strange platform which has a lot of diverse content on it uh but at the same time, it all has the same underlying peg, which is that everyone just wants to see things happening constantly for hours at a time. And that isn't necessarily the same thing as making content that is has a broad appeal. Right. But but I think that, like, the fact that, like, this convention is, like, probably not being safely run and, like, attracting, like, like fans that, like, don't know how to function in real life and, like, it, there's all kinds of complaints around it. I think it just goes back to, like, we've created this entire class of internet creator and like no one knows like how to value them. Like it. Yeah. And so you get these like, like, and, and what's, and what's super weird is like, you're right. Like Hassan dream and Adriana Chechik, like they have nothing in common. And yet they're still technically all part of the same industry at the moment, which is like streaming video, which is super weird to think about. And like this lack of understanding of like how their popularity and how their like social value fits into the rest of pop culture. I think is exactly why TwitchCon is so weird and probably why like a lot of these streamers like don't go to VidCon or like go to other sort of like online video related industry stuff because like Twitch doesn't to me feel connected to YouTube or TikTok definitely not TikTok or like Instagram it's like a totally different beast even though all of those platforms have live video Twitch feels somehow different compared to all the other live video I've seen yeah that's one of those things where I feel like I should go and consume a bunch of Twitch but I don't have the 60 hours a week spare to do that a friend of mine puts it on when she like does the dishes it's like background music but like just a person playing a video game i guess yeah doesn't sound great <laughs> the, the the greatest hits for me are twitch plays pokemon which is one of the greatest social experiments ever conducted in internet history and that one stop sign in salem massachusetts that went viral because people from massachusetts don't adhere to stop signs 
I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, it was pretty good. But like, what's super weird is that like Twitch is creating like huge celebrities like Dreams, who has finally unmasked himself. And I feel like we sort of got to talk about this because you and I have been trying to figure out exactly what to say about Dream unmasking himself because it wasn't very controversial. It turns out he's just like a boring white guy. Like it was one of those things where <laughs> his entire bit is that he wears a mask and then he doesn't wear the mask anymore. And it's I, I'd be fascinated to know if his his stream what happens to his streams in like six months because I feel like what what do you do next? You've unmasked. So this is actually this is that is a great point to make because I think it ties back to this other thing that we keep coming back to, which is like. Dream either he like stays at the level he's at, which is like giant PewDiePie level celebrity, or he finds some sort of mainstream success and becomes like maybe the first Twitch star to actually cross over other than like maybe Ninja. But even Ninja, Ninja's a really interesting one because Ninja everyone thought crossed over and then has clearly has not. Yeah, well, it turns out he's a charisma vacuum. He has blue hair and other than that has literally nothing interesting going on in his brain. Sure. Uh, Hassan could, but Hassan is like so internet native that I like I have trouble imagining him like on MSNBC or something. I don't no. I could see him on CNN maybe, but like I feel like he would very quickly like not be on CNN anymore. <laughs> you know, like what's he what's he gonna do? He's not gonna. He I don't. What's he gonna talk about? I don't know. I mean, this is not a dig to him. I think what he does is better than CNN, but like, I don't think it's gonna fit like traditional programming in the same way that like Amaranth is another uh, Twitch streamer, and she got in a lot of quote unquote trouble because she was streaming in hot tubs and and kiddie pools, and uh, like they kept banning her because she created like new ways of gaming the Twitch algorithm because she was streaming in a kiddie pool in her apartment. And my favorite fact about her is that she uses her Twitch money to buy gas stations. So she's just franchising gas stations. That's great. That's really good. And it's like all there's all these different kinds. Like Dream is like a, a semi-anonymous Minecraft player. All of these celebrities like don't make sense in terms of how we think about celebrity, how we think about culture. And yet like they're huge and they have massive audiences. And it feels like Twitch doesn't even care enough or understand these people enough to like give them a safe environment to interact with their fans. You know, like that, that, that's yeah. the whole thing to me is that like nobody knows what to do with these people and traditional entertainment can't fit them. And so they're just like stuck in this third space. If you were a Twitch streamer, what would you stream? What would your meta, what would your Twitch meta be? It would be Hassan, wouldn't it? Would you, would you just do that? Would you just like rant about leftist politics for hours on Twitch? I mean, you have to cut out all that out of this episode, these episodes anyway. So. That's true. Yeah. You try to mention Jeremy Corbyn every single week, and we always ask Alan to cut it out. Yeah. I think I would probably stream myself, like, playing, like, like, a, like an RPG really badly, I think. I think I would be a gamer. But you've got to talk about the thing. You got to, the whole point is you've got to do the two things at once. You've got to play the RPG, and you've got to talk about something. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Twitch is like I don't know I don't get I don't get it I I want to get it I don't think it's that I'm old I don't think it I don't think it's that I think I just don't have the brain for it I, I swear I, I it's not because I'm old you, you you don't you don't have like a natural live stream brain do you do you think you do no absolutely not I don't not at all people have asked us to stream this th- this show on Twitch and I'm like no you don't want to see that we've we've streamed some things before and they've not gone well no that's true Alan have you do you watch Twitch. I've tried a couple times as like an internet person and I always just want, I don't know. I think I, I, I do think it's cause I'm too old. I just turned 40 and I think that I think I'm too old. I want my content to have a narrative. I want there to be like a structure or something, which is why I do get really into 
watching like long videos like i'm i i got really into norwegian slow tv for a little while but that's more because i know that like something <laughs> is happening and so i think if i was going to do live stream i would just live stream myself learning how to be a, a blacksmith because i went back to the forge and i made this which is a needle bodkin which i'm pretty excited about and uh i would do that i would like i would live stream my my journey through becoming a blacksmith while railing about leftist politics it's a lot of new information there i'll be honest <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like everybody everybody thought what you thought, Ryan, that like Twitch was going to be the future of live streaming entertainment and that like the NFL was going to like sell its rights to Twitch, but they sold them, they just sold them to Amazon. And now Amazon is just going to make a different version of Amazon. Amazon owns Twitch, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. I think so. That, I, I mean, that's it, isn't it? You sell them to Amazon, the company, and they're like, no, it's more valuable. Prime is more valuable to us than Twitch. I think that's actually exactly where we need to end on this, which is like, there was this idea that like Twitch was going to take over and like Twitch would be like the launch pad. And now the main way that I see Twitch is actually YouTubers streaming and then finding the most popular moments and editing them into videos for YouTube and, and TikTok. Like it's basically like this place that like is probably never going to be the premier space that everyone assumed it would be because like Amazon would rather just make their own product and like and cannibalize the best parts of Twitch. And so it's, I think you're right, Luke, in the same way that like Tumblr was like an ecosystem for like weird culture that was like too hard to explain and, 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 and couldn't really travel other than like screenshots on Twitter. Twitch is exactly the same. It's like there'll be these massive celebrities that just like can't translate. It's like a built in super fan thing where it's, it's kind of the, it's the extended edition of the thing that you're watching on YouTube. Well, the thing I watch on YouTube is a nice tight 12 minute video. And then the thing on Twitch is like, hey, do you want to watch this person for six hours, not be that entertaining? And if you like them enough, you will. But equally, they don't have to put much effort into it and they get enough money from it. And the fans who are very dedicated are still into it. So yeah, it makes sense. I, it, maybe it's, it's a spin-off ecosystem on an ecosystem on its own. Hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? I mean, aside from Game of Thrones, I actually, I finally watched all of Years and Years, which is extremely retro. Oh, man. Oh, man. The show that me and Alan talk about almost every single day. Oh, <laughs> Luke, Ryan made me watch Years and Years right as the pandemic was starting. And it was like the exact... <laughs> oh, that's a terrible time exact, to watch it. <laughs> I thought it was going to be escapist, but then it like wasn't and it was dark in exactly the wrong way. I will be honest. It's also, it's also not that escapist post-Russia-Ukraine. Every single day... Something happens from years and years. Not maybe in the order. Okay, but okay, so we 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 can talk about that. I had a bunch of ideas for what we would talk about this week, but House of the Dragon this week was so good that I need to talk about it uh, immediately. Hell yeah! If you want to hear that, you can go to our website, thecontentminds.com. You can subscribe. You get extra bonus episodes every week. You also get access to the Garbage Day Discord, and you get a discount for Garbage Day subscriptions as well. If you care about that. It's super fun and it supports the show and helps us keep paying Alan to make the show listenable. So that that's really where the money goes. We 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 don't touch it. We just give it all to Alan. Uh, if you want him to be wealthier, like that's it. That's the whole job. You're Alan's boss, as far as I'm concerned. Alan, did you consume any content to stay sane this week? Um, 
If I feel like if I have to think that hard, then that means that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know what, what I don't know what we watched, but I did. I continue my slog through Vikings, which has just gotten really. I don't know. It's gotten to the point now where it got popular in season four, so they doubled the number of episodes in season four, which means that like it's twice as boring. Um, I'm now up to watching it at two to two point five x when I watch. Everything I learn about your life <laughs> is utter just is bonkers is absolutely bonkers the idea that you're just like making weapons and watching super sped up clips of vikings is just there's a lot happening not clips full episodes i watch full episodes it's just i want the content but i don't want to like spend 42 minutes of my life to watch a whole episode but i'll spend 20 minutes of my whole life i'll be i'll be honest the idea of watching tv sped up I've not seen what I've really thought of before, but now it's in my brain. Like, Oh, it's the best. That makes so much sense. Video Speed Controller is an amazing Chrome plugin. Any video player in a Chrome window, you can speed up by quarter X increments to watch at whatever speed you want. And it doesn't pitch shift. So you can just watch a video, any video on the internet at two to three X. I mean, I'm a big quick podcast thing, but I just haven't thought of it with TV before. And that's... Oh man, I'm getting like nauseous thinking about this stuff. Okay. <laughs> If, yeah, if you want to if you want to hear our bonus episode, go over to thecontentminds.com, subscribe, check it out. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for supporting the show, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.